Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The New York Mets split a four-game series with the Miami Marlins, and now it's go time. And now we all buckle our seatbelts, as Bob Murphy used to say, a three-game series against the Atlanta Braves. I've noticed that there are two groups of Mets fans. There's the panic Met fan, the Met fan that always thinks the sky is falling, and then the very confident Met fan, the Met fan who confidently will tell you how different everything is. Steve Cohen owns the team. They're going to win the National League East. There's nothing to worry about. And I got to be honest, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'd be completely lying to you if I gave you this reassured statement of, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Ah, don't worry at all. They're going to win this division. I know this series against Atlanta is scary, but don't worry about it. But I'm also not on the other extreme. Despite what was a very frustrating four-game series against the Marlins, especially really the last three games of the series, including the Keith Hernandez game, which we'll get into, I'm not telling you the sky is falling. I'm not telling you this team is going to collapse. I'm not going to give you all this negative crap. But I'm nervous. I'm nervous going into this series against the Braves because I think right now, for a few reasons, the Atlanta Braves are just a better team. They've played better over the last month. And I also think the the issues of this Met team can very well be exposed in this series against the Atlanta Braves. And honestly, it's been exposed over the last few weeks. Their offense is missing a bat. This offense is missing that big DH bat. And unfortunately, the timing is terrible because Jeff McNeil's going to miss this series. He's going on paternity list. And Starling Marte's got all sorts of injury questions around him right now with this groin issue. So you're talking about an offense that we already know is missing a guy, a mysterious guy that they need to add before the August 2nd trade deadline. And then you throw in the fact that you're taking away two all-stars for different reasons. 
Obviously, Marte with the uncertainty around his health. And Jeff McNeil because he's about to become a dad. The other thing that's got to scare the crap out of you is after Edwin Diaz, there's nobody to trust. And again, all of these things I'm describing, which we've known about for weeks with this team, I think was on display over the course of this four-game series against Miami and is a part of the reason why they walked away with a split. Because they are missing something offensively and because there really is nobody in this bullpen you could trust outside of Edwin Diaz. There just isn't. So we'll get to all those issues. We'll preview this series against the Atlanta Braves. Take a look at what happened with the Keith Hernandez Day on Saturday. My major regret about Keith Hernandez Day. And all the other stuff around this Met team here on Rico Bronia. But we start off with the fact that Thursday night when they opened up this series against Miami. It was funny. If you remember Pete, Pete Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. After that great win against the Reds, I said to you, you never know. You know, maybe that win against Cincinnati kind of wakes up the offense. Maybe the way they close that finale against Cincinnati. I know momentum doesn't normally feel like it exists in Major League Baseball, but maybe that kind of opens up the floodgates for the offense. And for one day, Hoff, it worked. (laughs) Because on Thursday, J.D. Davis is hitting grand slams. The Mets offense looks amazing. James McCann is driving in a bunch of runs. And so when you look at the finale against Cincinnati, a game they needed to win and they pulled out of their ass, and the opener against the Marlins, at least for that 24-hour period, bro, here comes the offense. All is right with the world. Well, that lasted very shortly. But yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, listen, J.D. Davis definitely. I think I, I think he heard Tiki Barber saying Dom Smith had to be playing every single day, and that really kind of lightened hit a, a fire under his butt. You know what I mean? You, you know what's funny? I Tiki was saying that. I kind of agreed with him to an extent in that I wanted to give Dom, coming off of his performance against Cincinnati, I wanted to give him a start against the lefty. So I looked at the opener of this series against the Marlins and said, Daniel Castaño. I mean, that's that's not a good enough left-hander for me to say I got to sit Dom down. So I wasn't fully agreeing with everything Tiki said, but I went into the opener of that series saying, my one critique with Buck was, I want Dom in the lineup. And meanwhile, J.D. Davis had the game of his life. But as J.D. Davis is hitting a grand slam and ripping doubles and driving in runs, was there really any Met fan who sat there Thursday night and said, oh, see, J.D.'s the answer? No, it was, it was like a Band-Aid effort. And unfortunately, when you look at this offense after the game Thursday night, it's kind of what it was. I mean, they, they did nothing offensively the rest of the weekend. They got shut down Friday. They got lucky on Saturday. They got completely shut down on Sunday, the finale of the series against Alcantara and the Marlin bullpen. So it felt like Thursday almost became kind of a fluky type effort. And we just got to remind ourselves, even though Dom will have his moments and JD will have his moments, look what both of those guys did in the final three games of this series against the Marlins. Ungats, they didn't do anything. So when you get that nice performance by Dom or that nice performance by JD, look, we all want to enjoy it in the moment, but let's not act like, oh, see, they don't need to acquire somebody. You bet your ass they need to acquire somebody. I feel like that's a Mets fan flaw. Like we're too busy sitting there going like, oh, Michael Conforto, I love that guy. He's got to be a Met for life. Give him all the money. 
or Dom Smith or J.D. Davis. I don't like these guys. They have to figure, like, let them play more. It's like, eventually, at some point in time, you have to realize they're nice players. I like them. But just because I like them doesn't mean I, I want them to play on the Mets on a regular well, basis. And you know, and you know what we're at now? We're at the point in the middle of July where there's nothing that can happen over the course of a game or two that's going to change our view on what these guys are. You know, Dom has had his chance. JD's had their chance. And while in this moment the Mets are not calling up Alvarez, they're not making a trade for a DH today, I don't think there's anything that could happen, especially after just what happened after that moment on Wednesday and Thursday where you thought, oh, here's Dom and JD, here they come. And then the reality was over the course of the rest of the weekend, it was a reminder that they are what they are. So I don't think there's anything that can happen between now and the trade deadline that should change our view on what these guys are. So Thursday was great. They pound the Marlins. They take the opener of this series, and it makes you feel like, oh, great. Everything's turning after they win that game against Cincinnati. The one positive I took out of Friday's game was that Chris Bassett came off the injured list and really didn't miss a beat. I thought that was great to see. I mean, Bassett was all pissed off about the IL rules or the COVID rules, I should say, because he tested positive, self-reported, had no symptoms. <laughs> they wouldn't let him pitch basically for two weeks. But I thought Chris Bassett pitched a hell of a game. And outside of Brandon Nimmo's home run in the third inning and Lindor's late home run in the eighth, boy, it was just nothing. And I think the worst part about their offensive effort on Friday, and this was a sign of things to come, is that they had opportunities. They had opportunities to score runs. And if you remember in Friday night's game against the Marlins, and I don't think anyone's going to remember this moment, but it's kind of small, and it was a sign of what the Marlins would try to do. The first batter of the game, Brandon Nimmo, had a ground ball with shortstop, and Miguel Rojas made an error. Okay, it happens. And the Mets had a gift to start the game, and then very promptly, Marte grounds into a double play, and it goes away. The Marlins would continue to play bad defense all weekend long. And in some cases, Saturday, the Mets would be able to take advantage of that bad defense. And in a lot of other cases, do nothing with it. And that was really the story of this weekend against Miami after they took the opener. They had a lot of opportunities. And they just couldn't take advantage of it. And it continues to be a running theme that their production with runners in scoring position, which was so good, over the first few months of the season, has really evened itself out. Look, I, I understand when you get shut down by Sandy Alcantara, you can kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I get it. He's a great pitcher. He's becoming a great pitcher. He's the Cy Young Award winner in the National League. But when you get shut down by the Miami Marlins bullpen, which is what happened Friday, and they spoiled a great effort by Chris Bassett, and then the Met bullpen kind of throws... Um, Coal on the fire, if you will, when Drew Smith gives up another home run. I thought what you saw Friday, in a lot of ways, was everything that concerns you about this team. The lack of clutch hitting they've had recently, the lack of offense, period, the lack of production from DH, and then no one in your bullpen you could trust. Drew Smith was so good earlier this season, and even in the game on Sunday, he was lucky. He gave up a ball that I think Willett Dong said would be a home run in half the ballparks in Major League Baseball. The right, uh, the home, uh, the the fly ball to right field. What's his name? Jesus Sanchez. I think that's who it was. So that would be the issue all weekend long. 
a bullpen you can't trust, let's go to Saturday, and an offense that's lacking the big hit and lacking the production from DH. Now, let me get to Keith Hernandez game. Keith Hernandez day, if you will. I got a huge regret. I have a huge, huge regret. Now, I'm going to go to a lot of games this season. I go to a lot of games every season. But sometimes you got to make decisions in life, Pete. Sometimes you've got to listen to your wife. And my wife said, this is too much, all right? You know, it's a four-game series against the Marlins. You're going to go to two of the games. You're not going to go to three of the games. You're not going to go to four games. And so I made a decision to go Sunday afternoon and give up Saturday. A part of the reason was 4 o'clock game on Saturday kind of takes up the whole day. And while I love Keith Hernandez and have great respect for Keith Hernandez, I felt like, oh, I could miss Keith Hernandez Day. It's not like they're retiring David Wright's number, a guy I grew up watching. While, again, I have great respect for Keith, on paper, it seemed like a very suitable day to miss. And so I missed it. And I knew that. I talked about it on the air with Craig on Friday. And I sold my tickets. And I went to the beach. I went to Montauk on Saturday, a day trip. Didn't even stay over. That's like a three-hour trip. And I started watching the Keith Hernandez ceremony live. Uh, We had a TV we were watching. And as I'm watching the ceremony and I'm explaining who Keith Hernandez is to my son and my in-laws are watching it and my wife's asking some questions, I started thinking, why the hell did I not go to this game? Evan, you're a diehard Med fan. You got season tickets. Like, this is, this is the game you don't go to? And so my wife even said, have any regrets about not going? And, and like, she wasn't taunting me because my wife's very simple which is you can go to games. You just got to pick your spots. You can't go to every single game. And there are certain games I'll tell her this is non-negotiable, like the playoffs or you know, some kind of opening day. But I, it was my fault. I was like, ah, Keith Hernandez day, no big deal. I could have easily said I'm not going Thursday. I'm not going Sunday. I got to go Saturday. I didn't do it. It's on me. So as I'm watching the ceremony and Keith's, you know, talking about his brother, and he's talking about this current Met team. I think that was the moment I started to say, crap, I should have been at this game. When Keith put over this Met team, which I thought mattered. I was like, God, man, I should have been at this game. I was getting FOMO, major, major FOMO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But then the game starts. I now pause it because I'm at the beach in Montauk having a good time with the kids. I then start the game much later. And now I'm watching the game much later. And it's, you know, a lot of the frustrations I brought up. Can't trust Seth Lugo. 
<laughs> Can't trust Adam Adovino. You know, Lindor hits that awesome home run. That was majestic. How he's standing there in the batter's box, hoping it stays fair. It stays fair. He shows all the great emotion. And obviously, we know how the game ended. You're a Med fan. You know what happened. They got very, very lucky is basically what happened. Brian Anderson can't play third base. And then Tanner Scott can't throw to first base. And the Mets are gifted a victory. I mean, you talk about gifted a freaking victory. That game Saturday was a gifted victory. Not that I'm complaining. The 86 Mets had gifted victories, right? Like, it's baseball. But as that game ended, and I'm hearing Gary Cohen, Nitto will score! Oh, it killed me. I wasn't there. I mean, it was... I think I had more FOMO for this game than I did the combined no-hitter, which is another game I happen to miss. Just a scheduled missed game. It was a Friday night. I had gone, I think, the next day or the night before, whatever it was. This one, I think, bothered me more. So I enjoyed it. I was happy. I was relieved that the Mets won this game, but God, I, was, I had major, major FOMO. I had Evan. major, major regrets. Evan. Let me just what? okay. Let me just rewind a second. Okay. Yeah. First of all, you can't have regrets about the combined no hitter because you can't predict that's going to happen. Right. This is a special day <laughs> for Keith Hernandez. Everyone knew about. You knew about, and you chose to go Thursday and Sunday instead, and you only went to Montauk for a day. How did you not go to the game? How did you choose not to go Saturday? I, I don't know. I don't get that. I misread how I would feel. I think is really what it came down to. I misread that. Hey, you know, Keith's a great player. I love Keith. But I never watched him. Like, I'm too young. I'm 38, 39 years old. I didn't watch Keith as a player. So I took it as, well. it's a great moment in Met history, there are other days that will matter more to me. And so I guess I took it for granted and figured it wasn't going to bother me. It wasn't going to be a big deal. And as I started watching it, I realized I was wrong. I realized I effed up. Does that not make sense? Uh, it, it, it does. Because uh, I did something kind of similar, but not the same. With what? Uh, uh, what was it? The f- it must have been the 50th anniversary. or there was, a, there was an anniversary, I think, for the 86 team or something. And... Well, I, I can bo- tell you this, Pete. It wasn't the 50th anniversary of the 86th. <laughs> no, no, but it was, it was something. I can't remember what it was exactly per se, but I was, I bought season tickets specifically making sure I had a package that had a celebration in August for right. I, maybe it was the 25th anniversary of the team or the 50th anniversary, whatever. And then I went and booked a cruise and I'm like, okay, great. I, it just so happened that the cruise was the same weekend or the week of that anniversary, I was like, uh, I'm not going to make the Mets game. And that was, that was, I ended up skipping it. So I, I mean, I but you knew, you knew you wanted to go to that event. So that's, that's why yeah. I bought the package and I ended up not going to, I ended up not going to the game though. I ended up that's just messy. That's just messy scheduling on your part. That's basically I, what I've that never is. been a good schedule. No, not good with that. I think, I think with me, it was, I, I love the history of this franchise. And I made a mistake in terms of picking my spots. Like looking back on it, what I would have said to my wife, who's great. She's the most supportive person in the entire world was, you know what? I'm not going to go Thursday or I'm not going to go Sunday. This is the game in this series I really want to go to. And this isn't a knock on Keith. I think it's more, I just misread that because he was before my time as a player, 
that the game wasn't going to really affect me. Uh, Jerry Kuzman's number was retired. Jerry was long before my time as a fan. I happened to go, but it wasn't like an event I needed to be at. And again, it's not a knock on the history. I love the history of this franchise, and I'm so glad that they're honoring the history of this franchise, and they're doing a great job of it. I I do want to clarify a couple of things. Number one, I don't like the Wilpons as much as the next person, but this can't be talked about as if look what Cohen is doing that the Wilpons wouldn't do because that's just playing fast and loose with the facts. The Wilpons were the ones that recently decided to expand the retired numbers list. Jerry Kuzman's retirement ceremony was supposed to happen during the pandemic year when the Wilpons owned the team. So this isn't true to say, well, Steve Cohen's now in touch with Mets history and he's retiring all these numbers. Now, Cohen does love Mets history, and I think he's doing a great job bringing back Old Timers Day. Absolutely a Steve Cohen thing. But the retired numbers stuff actually started with the Wilpons. Howie Rose, I remember coming on with Joe and I a couple years ago saying, yeah, there's this Met alumni panel or whatever it is, and we're going to expand the list of retired numbers. So I can't stand the Wilpons as much as anybody. I just want to be fair about this. It's just, it's misrepresenting history to say that the decision to retire Keith Hernandez's number and the decision to retire Jerry Kuzman's number really came strictly from Steve Cohen. That's not the case. It started with the Wilpons. Why right, did what, be fair. why did it take so long though? That's my question. Why did because the Wilpons had the team for a long time? They, it's not like they had the it for like Wilpons. Five years. The Wilpons had one decision that I actually agreed with. All right, and I don't want to make this about this because I've made my opinion clear about it. I love the fact that they had a really high standard for retired numbers. I did. I really loved it. I mean, think about who had retired numbers. Think about it. Casey Stanga was more ceremonial thing for what he did as a legendary New York figure. Gill led this team to a World Series in 1969 and passed tragically. And Tom Seaver's the effing franchise. And the other guy was Mike Piazza, who is a Hall of Famer and represents the New York Mets. And that was the list. And I had no problem with that. So, yeah, now they've changed it. And I totally understand that you, Pete, and many other Mets fans are saying, this is great. Let's do Doc and Daryl now. That's fine. I respect that view. I actually loved that the Mets had a very high standard, and I never took it as a knock on the history of the team. I took it as, wow, the New York Mets have a high standard for retired numbers. With that said, I lost the argument. It's over. Now that the box has been opened and Jerry Kuzman's number is retired and Keith's number is retired, I'm not bitching about it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just happen to like the fact that they used to have very high standards for retired numbers. Is that a problem? Does that make me a bad guy? No, it doesn't make you a bad guy, but the problem I the, the problem I do have is this. The history, you can't really you could say, "Oh, look at the World Series at the Mets won in 86." Besides that, the history of the Mets is very vague. There's not much to it. I can't sit there and be like, "Oh, and then they had like and I hate to go back to the Yankees, but Mickey Mantle, DiMaggio. I understand all those names are, you know, they had a longer tenure to them. They've been to over 100 years. But on the other hand, the Mets have been around for a while. They've the history is oh remember when they traded away Nolan Ryan, remember those bad moves that the Mets have made. That's the negative uh, component to this whole thing. It, it's got to turn to a positive because David Wright was a part of this history. Uh, the again eighty six, they actually won a World Series, and it took till now to retire a number. I mean that's pretty dumb. 
And not only that, the 17 was handed out a million times. I mean, think about all the yeah. different people that wore 17 in the time that Keith Hernandez left the New York Mets. Look, I, I think it's fine. All right. I, I've already offered my opinion on retired numbers, but it's an argument I lost. It's like the DH. You know, you just have to accept it. And I accept it. And David Wright will have his number retired as it should. And we move on. But it was just, it was a great night off of TV. And I had major, major FOMO not being able to experience it. Now, I did notice this. And I know it was on Twitter Saturday night that this was the first time that Saturday night game. It was the first time the Mets had won a game in extra innings with two outs on a walk-off error. The first time they had done that since game six, 86 against the Red Sox. Now, personally, I think that's very, very specific. (laughs) I think it's almost one layer too specific for it to be that amazing. I think if it was walk-off victory in extra innings off of an error, I'd say great. Once you get to two outs, it's like, and the weather has to be uh, partly sunny and it needs to be after 7.30 at night. But whatever, I I get it. That is kind of crazy. But what was really crazy was Gary Cohen's call. Because, and we're going to play it for you right now. We are going to play for you Vin Scully's call very quickly. Just a quick snap of Knight will score the Mets win. And Gary Cohen's call, Nitto will score the Mets win. It's like a freaking carbon copy. Take a listen. It's the same. It's the freaking same. Now, here's the question. Did Gary Cohen know that at the time? I, I can't believe that he would. Now, he knows Vin's call. We all know Vin Scully's call. I'm a, I actually prefer Bob Murphy's call, but whatever. We all know Vin Scully's call, but there's no way in the moment as Tanner Scott is making a terrible throw to first base that Gary Cohen is putting two and two together. And remembering and paying homage to Game 6, 86. So, I can't believe Gary did it on purpose, but it's freaking wild. Like, it sounds the same. It's it's described exactly the same. Ray Knight will score, Tomas Nittle will score, and the Mets win it. And it was awesome. Like, I admit, it was a, it was a great victory. It was a lucky victory. <laughs> I think we all have to own that. I mean, how about the fact that on the play before that, Two outs, runner on second, back-to-back strikeouts by Tanner Scott. Mets are about to lose just a brutal, brutal game. Disappointing day on this wonderful night where we're honoring Keith Hernandez. And luckily, Brian Anderson forgot how to play third base because Tomas Nitto on the first pitch, it's a ground ball to third base. They called it a double, but give me a freaking break. It's an error. And we are given a gift from the gods because Met fans, if Brian Anderson makes that play, and throws to first base, and the Mets lose. I don't think anything changes on Sunday. I don't think all of a sudden the Mets play differently. You're looking at a loss of three out of four to the Miami Marlins. And after winning the first game and facing a three-game losing streak going into the Atlanta series, I mean, there's going to be some negativity going into this series. Anyway, it'd be a lot worse. So thank you, Brian Anderson. Thank you, Tanner Scott. Thank you. For handing the New York Mets a victory. Because that would have been a brutal loss between Adovino giving up the home run and Seth Lugo giving it up. That game in a lot of ways really featured all of the things that scare the crap out of us. All of it just kind of mixed into one. 
Though Lindor had a big moment. That was kind of cool. I enjoyed that Lindor moment. But a bullpen that you can't trust. And there's nobody in this bullpen outside of Edwin Diaz you could trust. And that gets us to the finale of this series. A game in which you have Sandy Alcantara, who is right now far and away the best pitcher in the National League. The guy's been utterly brilliant. And Taiwan Walker. Now, before we get to this game, a couple of thoughts on Taiwan Walker, who pitched marvelous. He was great. Seven scoreless innings, allows three hits, only walks a guy. Taiwan Walker did not make the All-Star team. Did he deserve to make the All-Star team? Sure he did. No doubt about it. I, I never lose sleep over this kind of stuff because at the end of the day, I don't think it matters that much to me if Taiwan Walker makes his second straight All-Star game, especially because you remember last year? Remember last year? Taiwan Walker made the All-Star game. He was great. He was fantastic. He had an amazing first half. You remember what happened next? <laughs> I'll tell you what happened next. He put together one of the worst second halves I think we've ever seen. In fact, I've pulled the numbers. Would you like to hear it in case you forgot? No. <laughs> no. So last year in the first half, Taiwan Walker, and this was good enough to be an all-star, congratulations, went 7-3 and three with a 2.66 ERA. Not bad, right? 7-3, and 2.66. 7-3, and 2.66. Let me see what his numbers are right now. You know, just in case you forgot. Like, what kind of year is he having this year going into the All-Star break? So, he has a 2.63 ERA. So, he has really matched what he did last year. Think about that. 2.66 last year in the first half. 2.63 this year in the first half. And he's, he's done exactly what he did a year ago. The second half of last year, he went, and we all knew he was bad. Trust me, you're listening right now. You knew he's bad in the second half. You're a Met fan. When I saw the numbers, when I looked them up a few days ago, they're worse than I even remember. Want to guess what his ERA was in the second half of last year, Pete? Uh, seven. That's a good, that's a good guess. 7.13. He was 0-8. With a 7.13 ERA. Can I come to his defense for a second? Of course. Go ahead. I love Ty. Love big Ty. So listen, here's the deal. It started off poorly. It started off with that Pittsburgh series where he thought that he, in the, I think it was a first inning, we tried to like scoop the ball. Yes. Rather than, rather yes. than trying to let the yes. ball run fair, try to scoop it foul, and it went fair. It was a bad play, and the whole inning blew up. And the second half, was that in a nutshell? That's how it just went that sour for him. That's why his downfall for second half, plus the fact that he's never pitched that deep in a season. In fairness, they won that game. That that game you're talking about, where he got knocked out in the first inning and that scoop yeah. kind of went back. Haywire, the Mets actually came back stunningly enough and won that freaking game 7-6. It was one of their best wins of the year. I and it was that. one of those wins <laughs> where I thought, see, we're going to be fine. Like, I got nothing to worry about because the game where I really, at the time, thought was going to be their downfall, and it turned out to be, was the last game before the All-Star break against the Pittsburgh Pirates where Edwin Diaz blew that save. I think they asked for a five-out save from him, a six-out save, whatever it was, and he blew it in the ninth inning, and they lost that finale uh, at the end of the first half of the season. And that really did turn out, if you want to find a game and say, where did the season go to, to the shits, basically, it was that game. But that second game you mentioned, the first start in the second half, which is fair to say, I mean, he gave up 
five runs, six runs in a third of an inning. They came back and won that game, which was unbelievable. But yeah, no, after really that game was the downfall for him. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that's what's going to happen. Like, I'm not saying that Taiwan Walker is going to implode in the second half of the season. I'm just reminding you that he had a terrible second half last year and his first half this year has essentially mirrored his first half last year. We don't need those reminders, dude. Like, we, Listen, I, don't, I'm, I know about it. <laughs> I'm not doing it to jinx him or anything like that. It's, and by the way, I'll offer this excuse for why I think it happened. Because if you're wondering, like, well, what, what's the difference? I think last year, a lot of guys battled with the fact that they weren't used to throwing nearly as many innings as they had thrown. And Taiwan Walker is the most extreme example of this. And what I mean by that is in 2020, Taiwan Walker threw 53 innings. Okay, kind of normal. No one really threw a lot of innings in 2020 because of the COVID season. The year before that, you know how many innings Taiwan Walker threw in 2019? Uh, I think it was, there's one of the years he did like about 80, but I don't know if that's the year. Well, no, this was the year where he threw one inning. Okay, he didn't even pitch essentially in 2019 and the same goes in 2018. He didn't pitch. So you're talking about a guy who in 2021 was coming off. I guess if you want to include the minor leagues and rehab starts, the number's a little bit higher. But the three previous seasons, he barely pitched. So I don't think it was a stunner that Taiwan Walker, who's now asked to quadruple that number, but more than that, over the course of a full season, would just completely run out of gas. And maybe that's an excuse for him. Okay, maybe it is. But I think it's understandable when you look at how little he pitched in 2020, how little he pitched in 2019, and how little he pitched in 2018. So I do not think Taiwan Walker is going to fall off a cliff in the second half of this season. Now, do I expect him to match what he's done in the first half of the year where he's pitched to a 2-6-3 ERA? I don't think so. But if he could pitch to a mid-3 ERA, I think we'd all sign for it. I think we'd be all right with that. And he's got one more start in the first half of this season. It'll be in Chicago against the Cubs. But he was great in this Sunday game. And really where I thought he was his best is when he got out of trouble, specifically in the fourth inning and in the seventh inning of this game. In the fourth inning, he lets the leadoff man, gives up a base hit to John Birdie, and then gets a huge, huge double play against Garrett Cooper. And that was a great play by Francisco Lindor, whose glove was really good in the Sunday game. There have been times in which Lindor's glove has been spotty overall, watching him every day. I thought his glove in the Sunday game against Miami was outstanding. And then in the seventh inning, and I wonder, I'm wondering aloud, if Buck Showalter thought about what happened in the Houston game. If you remember in the game against the Astros, Taiwan Walker was pulled in the eighth inning for Edwin Diaz, and he was pissed. He was not happy. He was not happy with the great Buck Showalter. He did not want to be taken out of that game. Diaz ended up doing the job. Drew Smith didn't. Mets lost to Houston. In this game, and I was at the game because I go to a Sunday afternoon game when they're not retiring Keith Hernandez's number, I say to my dad, I even said to my son, who didn't fully understand what I was saying because he's still five and learning the game. Taiwan Walker gives up a leadoff hit to John Birdie. He issues a walk to Garrett Cooper, and he's behind Jesus Aguilar 2-0. First and second, nobody out, 0-0, counts 2-0. Hoff, nobody up in the bullpen. Nobody. Couldn't find anybody in that bullpen. And I wonder if that was Buck saying, all right, okay. You had an issue with me last week? You don't think I trusted you last week? 
Now I'm going to really trust you. Get through this freaking inning. Be a man. Get through this inning. And look, Ty answered. And Ty was pumped up. Because behind 2-0, he got Aguilar to fly out, got Sanchez to pop up, and then he struck out Brian Anderson. That was brilliant. It was brilliant work by Taiwan Walker. And maybe I'm creating a fake situation where Buck Showalter said, okay, you yelled at me, now go do the job. I don't know if it actually worked out that way. But either way, he did a great job. Or maybe Buck realized this. If I'm not going to Edwin Diaz, I don't trust anybody in this bullpen. And maybe that's why he let Taiwan Walker finish the seventh inning. Because, dude, you can't trust anybody in this bullpen. Nobody. It's embarrassing. There's no one they can go to. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, they could th- freaking throw out the Grom for an inning just to warm up, and it's still you can't trust it. I, I, well, I mean, I, it's, it's extreme, but the reality is it's and, – and Edward Diaz, by the way, did you see the number? See, you were you weren't watching the game. You were listening. You were there. But I think um, – how many batters has he faced going into this inning? It was like 138 batters, right? Right. Something, something like he struck out half the people he sees. Yeah. It's freaking outrageous. Oh, no, no. Edwin Diaz has had an utterly brilliant year. Despite some hiccups and some moments that cause us stress, I don't think it's even close. I always like to say we have a uh, a circle of trust in a bullpen every year. How do you rank it? And if I asked you right now, it's clearly Edwin Diaz number one by as many games as the Yankees lead the American League East, essentially, or as many games as I lead our fantasy baseball league, which is by a lot. That's how much I trust Shut up. <laughs> Nobody cares about your fantasy team. Except That's why me. I use the Yankees as an example, you know? <laughs> Edwin Diaz is a guy that, as crazy as it may seem, as crazy as it may have seemed a year ago or six months ago, I trust him more than anybody. I mean, look what he did in this game. He comes in in the ninth inning, and he threw he threw freaking nine pitches. He threw, was it less than that, actually? He struck out two guys in the ninth inning, and I think he threw seven pitches. I got to look that up, and I'll tell you why that's important in a second. How many pitches Edwin Diaz threw? But Drew Smith comes in, and look, Drew Smith pitched a 1-2-3 inning, so I don't want to crap on him today. It's about time Drew Smith pitched a scoreless inning, but he did give us all a, a little scare. It was Brian De La Cruz who hit the ball to the warning track, not Jesus Sanchez. I may have said that earlier. But he got through it, and that's great. And he did it against the bottom of the order against the Marlins. So let's not exactly, you know, throw a parade for the guy. But Drew Smith was at least able to give you a scoreless inning. And when they couldn't score in the ninth inning, when again, the Marlin defense is begging you. They're begging you. I think it was Joey Wendell makes, I don't even know what the hell he did. It was a ground ball to shortstop. He's bobbling it. He's booting it. He don't know what the hell to do with it. They're giving you a base runner. One on, one out. Problem is, here comes Eduardo Escobar, who's back to sucking. I mean, what? What's he going to do? He's done nothing since that Texas series. That one really pissed me. That's the moment where I knew they were going to lose this game. Despite being at home, despite their success in extra innings, when the Marlins are again giving you a base runner and you're not facing Sandy Alcantara anymore, you got him out of the game. In fact, for some reason, Don Mattingly did the Mets a favor and took him out after only 93 pitches. Sandy could have gotten 10 in this game if they wanted to. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. 
there's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. But the offense was just such a failure. Up and down this lineup. Up and down. Nobody could hit. We're watching Pete go through. He's struggling right now. Despite the home run the other day, Pete Alonzo's struggling. He's scuffling a little bit. And when you're not getting pop or production, I should say, at Pete, look at the rest of this lineup, especially when you take Starling Marte out of it, and now Mark is batting second, especially on a day where Brandon Nimmo's quiet going 0 for 5. Where are you getting the offense from? You didn't get it from Dom Smith. You're not getting it from Eduardo Escobar. And as much as we've all crapped on James McCann, who is starting to hit, James McCann's going to be out for two months now. And that's a problem because I think McCann, much more so than Nitto, could at least get on a hot streak and maybe prove, at least for a short period of time, to be the offensive player he was in 2020. Tomas Nitto, while he doesn't wilt in a big moment and will get some big hits, and he has throughout this season, the guy is what he is. I mean, he's a 215 hitter who never draws a walk, who doesn't have a lot of pop. So you're getting no production out of Tomas Nito. And I'm not a huge Patrick Mazika fan. I'm not a huge fan of him behind the plate defensively, which is essential. And while he's had some lucky moments, some nice met moments, I think that's a bat that will get exposed every single day. So now we're in a spot where the catching position is worse today than it was two days ago. And before we get nuts about it, look, I have not screamed and yelled about Alvarez catching. I've screamed and yelled about Alvarez DHing. I think it's asking a lot to, to have this guy handle this staff in the middle of a pennant race. I'm good with him catching once or twice a week. I've always said that. But the idea that he's going to come up and be the catcher, that's not happening. It's not realistic. It's not even something I'm suggesting. Because I think sometimes we underrate the importance of having a solid quarterback back there. And Tomas Nino's that guy. He's a solid quarterback back there, except when he's trying to throw out Billy Hamilton and he throws it 500 feet over Escobar's head in the 10th inning of this game. So look, the, the calls for Alvarez are going to continue. I know he hasn't hit that much at AAA, but it's not to me as a guy that's going to catch five days a week. He's not going to catch five days a week. And he shouldn't catch five days a week. But as a bat who can DH five days a week and catch once or twice, that I'm okay with. Do they? I, yeah, go ahead. Can I tell you what this reminds me of a little bit? And I feel what? like I feel like we're getting there. This reminds me of because considering the fact that there's no extra trade deadline, it's it's August second. That's it. It's reminding me of Dwayne Sanchez getting injured, trading away Xavier Nady, 
for Roberto Hernandez and Ali Perez. It's going to be a desperation move. They're going to go pull for Wilson Wilson Contreras. I don't think so. I don't think so. And look, should they add a catcher at the trade deadline? Sure. It's not going to be Wilson Contreras. And it's not going to be Wilson Contreras, in my opinion. I'm just predicting for two reasons. Number one, I don't get the sense that Billy Epler is desperate. I don't. I don't get the sense, especially with the new playoff format, where as much as I want to win the division and you want to win the division, I don't think they're looking at, oh my God, we've got to do something or else we're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, you want to win the division, but I don't think they're going to make a desperate move because of how good the Atlanta Braves are. That's number one. Number two, Wilson Contreras defensively is a major downgrade over what they have now. Is he a major upgrade? Of course, no one's arguing that. But I think in this day and age, we are realizing, and maybe we should have always realized this, that defense behind the plate is so important. So while you want offensive production, why wouldn't you? Are you willing to give up that much defense? And here's the second part. Contreras is going to get a top prospect back. They're not trading a top prospect. They're not going to trade Alvarez for him. They're not going to trade Vientos for him. I'd be very, very surprised. Last year, they traded a top prospect for Javier Baez. They also got Trevor Williams, which I want to point out because Trevor's, as much as I got on him last week, he's been mostly good. As a swing guy, pitched great Thursday night. So they did get more than just Javi Baez back. So number one, they're not going to give the cost, Pete, for Wilson Contreras. And number two, I think they value defense too much. That's why if you're going to add a catcher, Sean Murphy, the Oakland A, is the guy to go after. He's an upgrade offensively. Everyone's an upgrade offensively. And he's solid defensively. I don't think they're going to be willing, nor should they, with a team that's still going to be based around starting pitching. Still going to be based around Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Chris Bassett, like a really good top three. I don't think they're going to be willing to take that much of a downgrade defensively. And by the way, I think that's a big part of why they're not going to rush Alvarez behind the plate for that reason. So I'm not worried about that. What is what has made you think that this team's going to be desperate? Um, unfortunately for me, I feel like they're waiting too long to to bring in some reinforcements. Like we've been sitting here for a while, going like, you know, call up Alvarez. Get some life to this this lineup. Do something. And they're just waiting. And as they're doing this, it's reminiscent of last year. Now, li- listen, last year, when they lost the lead in the division, they were, what, three games over 500? They're right. still 20 games over 500. So it's a little bit different. It's not like they're like, oh, they're never going to make the playoffs. It's, 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 it, the no, Braves no, are really it's, fucking good. Pete, it's very, very different. I'll tell you why it's very, very different. They're like seven games up on a playoff spot. So as much as we focus on the division and the importance of winning the division, they weren't in that situation last year. They were lucky that the National League East was as crappy as it was, and that's what kept them in a playoff spot. Even if Atlanta passes this team this week, and I hope I'm wrong, I hope they don't pass them, the Mets are still in a great spot to make the postseason. So I don't think they feel any desperation. And think about this. Who's been traded? Who's been dealt? Nobody. Nobody. You're right. Early, early in the beginning of the season, like Austin Meadows got got dealt. Some young guys got dealt. They were like mix and match because I think Detroit. I think the fact that the uh, the lockout really affected how teams like work their their transactions. Hence, why Aaron Judge didn't get signed. You know, I think that really had to play a, a major part in some of these offseason signings. But, dude, it's it, it's very typical, and I I'm not as desperate as some other Mets fans are. But I really think the Mets fan pulse is a little bit more like K 
can we do something? Can we be proactive vet rather than reactive? Well, look, we look, look. The, calling, the calling up a prospect and saying, hey, maybe Alvarez or Vientos can spark this team is one thing. And I was all for that. So I'm with you. For the last three weeks, I've... I think I've jumped to my conclusion on Dom Smith and J.D. Davis. Now I want to find out, is there someone else in this system that can produce for this team offensively? But as far as making a trade is concerned, a trade's not going to be made till right before the deadline. Because 9 out of 10 times, that's when it happens. Sure, you'll find some exceptions when the Yankees traded for David Justice on June 30th. But for the most part, these guys are moved days before the trade deadline. Betting and they're going to the raise. Betancourt, is, Betancourt, I know, and listen, and I know he's not on. the guy. That, that's the example you're going to freaking use. Under, it, it's, listen, it's an upgrade. The guy was hitting for the A's. I get it, but they're going to add a DH bat. I don't know if they're going to add an upgraded catcher because up until yesterday, they were never going to add an upgraded catcher because they had James McCann and Tomas Nitto and kind of looked at that tag team and said, we're fine because we put a premium on defense. Look at some of the other good teams in baseball. Do the Astros look for an upgrade behind the plate? No. Because they trust Martin Maldonado and they say, look, he is a great defensive catcher. That's just the way it is. Like, I think the McCann injury makes you think differently about it, no doubt. McCann being out for what could be two months, yeah. Now you start to say, "Uh uh-oh, I think he's back in two months, but what if he has a setback? Maybe you go out and add a catcher. But 48 hours ago, they weren't going to add a catcher. They weren't. Where they're going to add, Pete, and I think we all know it, is they're going to add a DH. I would be stunned. If they don't add a bat. Now, I don't know who it's going to be. I think we all need to pipe down about Trey Mancini. You don't want to know why? The freaking Orioles are in a pennant race. They are. And it would be disgraceful if the Baltimore Orioles start dumping guys. As much as I wouldn't mind it. Like, you can't do that. No. But, and they and, and listen, I got to be honest. Like, my 12-year-old's been looking and watching. goes, dude, this Orioles team has been realistic. Been outrageous lately. Like, it's, it's kind of like... The Orioles and what's the other team too? That someone, someone else that's the kind of youthful has really been playing well. Maybe it's not the Pirates, but somebody. somebody the Marlins. The, the Marlins. Marlins yeah. Well, can the we stop playing them? Can we stop playing them? Like, why? Well, we still have eight games left. It feels like we play them every. Listen, Walker's played them three times. Bassett's last three starts have been versus the the Mets. Uh, we've seen Alcantara how many times? It's, it's ridiculous. Come on, well, stop you- it already. When you play a team 19 times, which is what we have, starting next year, that'll be different. And then you don't play that team for the first three months of the season. This is what happens. I mean, we're, gonna, we're about to be sick of the Atlanta Braves. Think about it. The Mets and the Braves are about to play 15 times. So we're going to feel that exact same way about Atlanta. But they're going to add a DH, and they're going to add bullpen arms. They may have to add two bullpen arms at this point. They may have to add... To me, Andrew Chafin's going to be a Met. That'd be my prediction. Only because they were going after him in the offseason. They knew they needed another lefty reliever. Right now, they only have Joely Rodriguez. They're going to add a lefty reliever. And A.J. Puck's not doing it for me. So, I just assume because they were so hot to trot for Chafin during the offseason, that's a guy they'll target. But they're going to add two relievers, or at least they need to add two relievers, and they're going to add a DH. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud about adding a catcher now because McCann's going to be out for as long as he was. But... I don't think they were ever going to add a catcher because I think they looked at the defensive capabilities of Tomas Nitto and James McCann and said, we're fine. By the way, the other day, I'm looking up the catching defensive metrics because I know they're going to prioritize that. So I see Wilson Contreras is down. I kind of knew that. I see where Nitto is. I see how good Trevino is for the Yankees. Forget the offense. His defense is amazing. Med fans, 
Here's the thing that really jumped out at me, because I heard somebody on the radio on our station say, "Ah, this guy sucks defensively. You know who's rated? (laughs) This just pains me. You know who's rated as the second-best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball, according to uh, the pitch framing stats? Uh, I'm going to say, like, a Higashioka. Oh, no. I know exactly who it is. And I'm going to get... I know. Darno. Travis Darno. Yes. So, we have to stop... With this, Travis Darno is a terrible catcher. He was a terrible catcher. He was for us. But to his credit, he's blossomed into not only a really good bat for the Atlanta Braves and an all-star, but he's actually blossomed into a really good defensive catcher. And you know he's going to kill us over the next three games when the Mets take on the Atlanta Braves. The Braves did acquire Robinson Cano. Uh, (laughs) I know everybody's reaction is, here we go. Cano's going to kill us. I don't know if Robbie's actually going to be on the Brave roster this week, but I'm sure over the course of the 15 games the Mets play against the Braves, there will be plenty of Robinson Cano. As far as this series is concerned, let's all take one big deep breath, all right? All together. One, two, three. (sighs) Okay. If the Mets get swept by the Atlanta Braves, and that is on the table, Very much on the table with the way the Braves have played, with the way the Mets are positioned going into this series, with no Jeff McNeil who's going to be on the paternity list, with Starling Marte maybe missing all three games, doesn't look good, with the groin issue. It's very possible the Mets get swept. Okay, I think we all have to understand that. As sucky as we will feel on Wednesday afternoon, as bad as I'll feel having to sit next to Craig Carton, who's going to rub it in on me, It won't be the end of the world. All right, so I want to preemptively say that (laughs) if this thing goes terribly wrong and we drop out of first place, and we would drop out of first place, if we did get swept, there are going to be 12 more games against the Atlanta Braves. Jacob deGrom is on his way back, at least it feels that way, with two rehab starts. We talked about the reinforcements that they'll have and hopefully Jeff McNeil back too the next time they face Atlanta. So... I'm not predicting that they're going to get swept. I just want everyone to realize that I think sometimes we treat every game and every series like the end-all, be-all. And I think we all just need to take a deep breath here. That even if things go badly in Atlanta, which I fear, I admit, I'm not overly confident going into this series. Why would I be, considering the issues with this team right now? But I think we just all need to remind ourselves, even if it goes as badly as we all fear, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. Because there are so many games with this team. There are going to be so many opportunities against this team. And this Met team, who goes to Atlanta for these three games, is a different team than the team that will face the Braves for a five-game series the first week of August. Not just Jacob DeGrom, not just the mysterious July 31st or August 2nd trades they make, but hopefully guys like Starling Marte and Jeff McNeil are in the lineup. Because I'm thinking about this Met lineup. Over these three games. And I'm assuming Marte's out. I'm just going to assume Marte's going to miss time. Think about this lineup without Marte and McNeil. I mean, it sucks. First of all, they could activate Travis Jankowski. That could be an easy replacement for Starling Marte. I love Travis Jankowski. He's a nice defensive player. He's got some speed. He ain't Starling Marte. So you could be looking at an outfield going into this series because I assume they're not sticking Dom Smith or J.D. Davis in the outfield. They're not. I, I just don't think they are. We haven't seen it all year. You're looking at an outfield of Canna, 
Nimmo, maybe Jankowski. Alonzo, Guillerme, Lindor, Escobar. <laughs> I'm sorry. The DH on Monday will be J.D. Davis because Max Fried's on the mound. Tomas Nitto behind the plate. That is a really crappy lineup. I'm sorry. Now, you're basically going to need Pete Alonso to catch fire. You're going to need Francisco Lindor to catch fire. Because even if Max Scherzer dominates, you're going to have to score a run or two. We saw this in the finale against the Marlins. and score a run. As great as Taiwan Walker was, they didn't score a run. So this lineup is going to be challenged, and they're facing good pitching. It's not like they're even facing mediocre pitching. Max Fried's going to pitch the opener. Spencer Strider, who's been awesome for the Braves and has kind of coincided him into the rotation. Michael Harris being called up, too, with the Atlanta Braves' ascension. And then Charlie Morton, who's been a completely different pitcher over his last six starts. That is not easy. That's three real good pitchers they got to deal with in this series against Atlanta. So even with Max Scherzer on the mound, who you have confidence in, even though his numbers against the Braves in his career are not sparkling, he's still Max Scherzer. His last start against the Braves was his last start the NLCS when he went four innings, allowed two runs, then he had arm soreness. I don't mean to knock Max. I'm just saying. I'm just giving you the info. That's all I'm doing, Pete. Just giving you the info. But even with Scherzer and Peterson and Bassett, which you feel all right about, especially Bassett and Scherzer, they're facing three real good pitchers, and they're doing it with a lineup that on paper is very, very flawed. The other big question, because the game they need to win is the opener. That's the game they got to win. You got Max Scherzer on the mound. You're coming off a loss to the Marlins. You're leading this division to game and a half. If they lose the opener, I will fully believe we're being swept. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, the opener is the, I'm not going to say something stupid like it's a must-win game. It's not. As I explained earlier, even if they get swept as much as it would suck, it's not the end of the world. But in terms of the importance of this series, can they win this series? Winning the opener is essential. And here's the real question for Buck, and he won't answer this, obviously. Is Edwin Diaz available? And the reason I bring that up is Edwin Diaz has now pitched in back-to-back games. He did not throw a lot of pitches in the finale of this series. In fact, let me get the exact total so I have it in front of me. He threw he threw seven pitches. Oh, nine pitches. Seven pitches. I got it in front of me. Seven pitches. Okay, not bad. He threw 11 pitches the day before. So he hasn't thrown a lot in these back-to-back games, but he has not pitched back-to-back-to-back all season long. Hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. Last year, different manager... He threw back-to-back-to-back games one time all year long. So it's a rarity. It's not something you normally see. I do commend Buck that he used him on Sunday because I got to win that game. That game I have to win. I can't worry about saving him for a game on Monday when I'm trying to win a game on Sunday. He's my best reliever. So I'm going to hold out hope that because it's only 18 pitches over two games, that in the right situation, like a save situation, Buck will use Edwin Diaz. Now, I don't think he's going to use him necessarily in a tie game. I don't think he'll certainly use him in a game in which they're trailing by a run. So even in a close game, I think he'll stay away from him unless it's a traditional save situation in the ninth inning. And then I think he would use him. But back-to-back-to-back is not a common thing. We haven't seen Edwin Diaz do it all year long. And as we talked about earlier... There's nobody in this bullpen you trust. You imagine Seth Lugo coming in against the top of this brave order, and this is a tough-ass lineup. I mean, Acuna and Riley and Swanson and Olsen 
and Darno. Ugh. Because here's the reality. And, and I hope a, a month from now or three weeks from now, I'll say something different. But in this moment, July 11th, 2022, the Braves are a better team. They just are. Sucks to say, but when you look at their rotation right now, when you look at their bullpen, their bullpen is clearly better than the Met bullpen, Kenley Jensen or not, and they got a better lineup. They just are. Now, Jacob DeGrom's healthy. The Mets add for Mets added DH. Marte and McNeil are out there. Are we seeing something different when they're playing that five-game series first week of August? Maybe. We may say something different. But, look, I don't think there's denying this fact. Over the last month, the Atlanta Braves have been a superior team. They just have. And that's why this lead is down to a game and a half. The Mets have been average over the last few weeks. They've been bad. They've been average. And the Atlanta Braves have been awesome. So I got bad memories of Atlanta. I know it's two stadiums ago, thinking about the old Fulton County Stadium and then certainly Turner Field. But, boy, the Mets against the Braves. Oh, God, I got so many. I keep thinking of all those big home runs Chipper Jones would hit in the late 90s. And what would that, that song they used to play at, at Turner Field? It's like a Nickelodeon song they'd play every time Chipper Jones hit a home run. I can't remember it. If someone remembers that stupid song, uh, tweet me at Evan Roberts, WFAM. Late 90s. I'm telling you, every time Chipper Jones hit a home run, they played a freaking Nickelodeon song. Haunted my dreams. Haunted my nightmares. But it's a different world now. It's Mets Braves 20 years later. Good luck, Mets fans. And I remind you, stay calm. Because even if we get annihilated and swept and embarrassed, it's not the end of the world. Okay? Did that make you feel better, Hoff, or not really? No, but I'm going to give you some positive notes before we leave. First of all, I know the catcher the Mets should go for at the trade deadline. And the reason why I tie it together is because he's caught Max Scherzer before. He's successful. He's a buddy of mine. I always go back to him. Jan Gomes, bring him in. Defensive catcher. Now, I understand, <laughs> I understand he's not hitting very well right now because he came back from an injury. But we always talk about him. He's not a bad hitter, but he catches. He's a good defensive catcher. No, he if, is. If that is, I got if, no issue with that. If 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 that if if we're talking about an upgraded catcher, that's someone we can actually realistically look at. It's not going to cost a ton. He'll be good. Wish he's caught him in a World Series game. So that's what I'm talking about. And then on a positive note, real positive for me, over the weekend, played Jerry Recco in a tournament game. Uh, his, his 12U team versus my 12U team drove down to Holmdale. Uh, we actually won the, the game versus him. He actually won the whole tournament somehow. But on the trip down this morning, my son, JD, my stepson, JD, was talking to my youngest four-year-old, Anthony, who is a big Yankee fan. The conversation led to Aaron Judge. That's Anthony's favorite player. He's four years old, favorite player is Aaron Judge, loves the Yankees. JD goes... What if he becomes a New York Met? Anthony goes, I will be a Mets fan. What if he becomes a Giant? <laughs> he will become a Giant fan. So wow. Anthony loves Aaron Judge that much that no matter where he goes, he will be that person, that a fan of, of Aaron Judge, that team, wherever he goes. So Steve Cohen, you heard me. He has to be a Met next year so I can get my four-year-old kid, soon to be five, to be a Met fan. There you go. Anthony sounds like a perfect basketball fan, does he not? Just follow, <laughs> yeah, the, st- <laughs> follow, the, follow stars. the star. 
Uh, All the the stars from team to team, yes. So I got got asked, uh, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, how do you feel about that? Is that a good trade, bad trade? No, it's not a good trade. Nothing about what's happening to the Nets right now is good. All right? Nothing. Nothing is good. Russell West- First of all, if the Nets trade Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook, they better get the two Laker first-round picks at minimum. I don't know what else they could get from that decrepit basketball team, but don't, don't talk basketball. That depresses me. Like, all right. even, the, even the thought of the Mets being swept by the Braves is less depressing <laughs> than the current state of the basketball team I happen to root for. Then, uh, then all I need to ask is this, and, and that's it. Durant, Irving, percentage that they will both be on the Nets starting the season. Oh, yeah, they're, they're gone. They're absolutely wow. gone. Anyone 0%. who tells you that they're going to run it back, they're, they're smoking some kind of hopeful uh, pipe. It's not happening because the, decre- the, the horrendous owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and he is the worst <laughs> owner that New York sports maybe has ever seen. I have never seen an owner. That, that take... takes a lot, by the way. That takes a oh, lot. It's true. <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's absolutely true, even though not, not enough people are saying it. But I'll say it. I'll say it every day until this guy sells the team. He wants to get rid of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He does not want the... Why did you bring this up? I'm talking about the freaking Mets. Even the Mets struggling depresses me less than thinking about how this disaster in Brooklyn actually occurred. Well, the positive was that Aaron Judge, because of Met, that, that my son will be a Met fan. So that's and then, the positive so, you take out of that all this. That was the positive. And then it just led to the my my my. But the questions kept like, coming from JD on the right. It was an hour and a half to get down I, to I home thought, today. I thought the biggest loser positive one could take out of everything is, hey, look, if we don't win the division, not a big deal. We got Jake and Max in a best of three series. Don't worry. I thought that was going to be the pivoted positive moment or something. No, no. First of all, we're still winning the division. I don't give a crap what anybody says. I'm sticking with Sal. I'm putting my money on Sal. Licata, he knows best. Sal's already wrong. Like, and oh. I said that to Sal when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He was already wrong. You can't say the division is over. We won the division. Now the lead's down to a game and a half. Like, even if the Mets win the division, his opinion from a month and a half ago was wrong. And, and look, I don't know if he was just saying that for the TV. And I guess I respect that. You know, Craig sometimes says stuff for the radio. But there's no way as a Met fan you could have really believed deep down that it was over, over. And I think a part of that is this disrespect that we need to get over for the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves have won how many division titles in a row? The Atlanta Braves are the defending reigning world freaking champions. Like, we need to respect them. There's a possibility the Mets are going to lose this pennant race to the Braves, and we may win 95 games. I mean, we may be able to say, hey, look, it was a great year. The Braves happen to be better. That happens. And I think a part of declaring this race is over wasn't just a pro-Met view. It was like, ah, the Braves aren't that good. They are that good, and they've been that good. And, and again, though, the organization, the, the G- GM, was aggressive in the trade deadline. They, they made the moves. Half their team was injured or uh, uh, Ozuna was out for personal other reasons, and they went out and got all this talent, surplus talent, and kept on building and being proactive. Like I feel that's the one thing in our history that's been consistent. The proactivity well, has been consistent. Look, what they did last year was they won a series against the Mets, a five-game series in late July, that gave Alex Anthopoulos enough belief to go add reinforcements. No doubt about that. But the Atlanta Braves have won four consecutive NLEs. Even before they did what they did last year, they were a 97-win team three years ago. Okay? They're good. 
They've been good for a while. And so I think we just have to accept that this version of the Atlanta Braves, the one we're battling with in 2022, may be the best of the bunch. Like, I I could make an argument, even without Freddie Freeman, that this team, especially with some of the young talent on this roster, like Michael Harris, like Spencer Strider, like Max Fried, who's continuing to prove he's one of the better pitchers in this league, like this bullpen that's loaded from the left and right side, this team may be better than the team that won 97 games in 2019. And yes, they may be better than the team that won the World Series last year. But here's what's great. The Mets get to go mano a mano with them. They get 15 games against them to say, yeah, you may be good, but we're better. And we're about to find out how they stack against one of the premier teams in the National League with a three-game series against the Braves. We'll talk all about it after the series ends. They're going to conclude it with an early Wednesday afternoon game. I'm on the air that day. So sometime Wednesday night, we'll post a reaction to this three-game series against Atlanta. And coming up during the All-Star break, We'll not only give you a comprehensive trade deadline preview, we'll also have a trade deadline retrospective, taking a look at some of the past actions by this New York Met franchise, good and bad, at the trade deadline over the last 20-plus years. You can check out Pete Halpin with Tiki and Tierney Middays on the Fan. I'm obviously with Carton. Afternoons, 2 to 6.30 on WFAN. Thank you for downloading and listening to Rico Bronio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.